Hello, 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 and welcome to week 35 of the 52 Week Film Project. Uh, this weekend is the Oscars, so I know very exciting. So we are doing our live roundup, not a live roundup, but a roundup of the Oscars, um, what we think is going to win. Hopefully we will do better than our Golden Globes and our BAFTA predictions. Um, we are then going to review Alita Battle Angel and um, Lego Movie 2, the second part, which we have split off this week to review each separately. Me, me and Will have done what we call a an Odeon trial separation, <laughs> where we we were both we were both going to review the Lego Movie two this week, and then being the the, the renegade that I am, I uh, turned around to Will and said, "You know what? I'm standing in the Odeon cinema, and I'm not sure I'm that fussed about seeing the Lego Movie two. I know you're not fussed about seeing Alita Battle Angel, and I really am. Mm. So why don't we cover both?" And give each other our ten cents on these films in one episode. Yeah, I think I think it's actually a very good idea because I think it will make us both interested and interested to see each of each of the other films. Mm. Um, like we have time, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, I I would I I'm interested to see if you'll turn me around on Lisa Battle Angel because yeah, every I trailer I've seen for it. I'm bored by. And I'm interested to, to know what you truly think of the Lego Movie 2, whether it held up against the original, which was, you know, it was a really good film, mm. or whether it kind of lags a little bit with that kind of second story problem. The metaness. Um, but first off, obviously, we want to go through our Oscar nominations and our predictions. So we're going to hurtle through these as we've done with the Golden Globes and the BAFTAs, throw in some sprinklings of insight here and there, like Salt Bay, if there is any to give. So the first one, the big one of the night, Best Picture. Now, we have got Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, the triple B, as I like to call them. The triple B. The favourite, Green Book, which we reviewed last week. We were both fans of. Roma, which we reviewed a fortnight ago now, and we were absolutely blown away by. And A Star is Born, which, again, was one of our highest rated films. That might be our highest rated film on the 52-week film project. Did we give it a 9.5 or um, 9? I think Star is Born is still the highest rated film. Or, it, or it's tied with Roma. We're uh, gonna have to Roma, go back. I think, is just a bit below it, but it is very close. Like yeah. Roma, Roma I, I loved, and it's the, it's the only other film that's got near it. But the only other film that's got a Best Picture nomination is Vice, and we spoke about this last week. Neither of us have seen it. Seen it. Neither of us really care. It hasn't got very good reviews, so that's not going to win it. Yep. What do you think will get it this weekend, Will? Um, so now I've seen Green Book. I think it's it's more interesting to talk about. Um, I think Green Book. We talked last week about the fact that Green Book was a film that was made with a white lens in mind, and I just think with nominations like Black Panther and Black Klansman in this category, that a film about black experience with a um, film through a white lens will not win. Green Book's not the one to win if we're going to pick a film based on its tackling of racial prejudice. Yes, Absolutely. which Completely especially agree. in 2019 has been a quite a big thing about in the Oscars. Um, I don't, it doesn't look like The Star is Born is going to win anymore, which was my early prediction that it was going to win. Um, I think it will be Roma. I think I think it will be Roma. Well, I think it will be particularly impressive and uh, just just lovely if Roma wins. Alfonso Cuarón, obviously, who's directed a hell of a lot of big budget films like The Prisoner of Azkaban that you go on and on about. <laughs> How <laughs> um, dare you! But he's I also but th but this film really is, as we discussed a couple of episodes ago, an homage to his childhood, an ode to that life and that experience that he had, and it is just beautiful. A lot of people criticise it for not really having any kind of plot, kind of just following people as their lives go on and on. 
um, and not really having a definitive start or end point. And I get those criticisms. We didn't really talk about it much in the episode. Um, but I just think it, it's such a significant and such a unique film um, that I really, and it's a foreign film as well, I really would love it to win. Um, I think Bohemian Rhapsody very well could do it again. I'm worried about that. I don't want it to happen, but it could. I mean, Bohemian um, Rhapsody has been doing so much better than I I completely expected. I it. didn't expect it to even have nominations, if I'm honest. Um, Black Panther is the age-old question. Obviously, they tried. Black Panther was essentially that film that they were going to try and shunt into the be- um, outstanding achievement in popular film category, which they rapidly removed because they realised that there was such a public outcry against it. You know, uh, b- being a an awards category that just kind of shunts films that they don't want to give best picture nods to into its own category that's mm. in of itself worthless um so that one is a film that has been kind of pushed around a lot but i also struggle with the idea of giving black panther the best picture nomination because ever since it came out there's been such this like oh it, it has to get a best picture nomination it has to it has to it has to it, it it's been bum rushed through the awards season no one else has given it the best picture look in, right? Mm. But the Oscars have. And I don't want Black Panther to win because it was like it was kind of a f- their hand was forced. If Black Panther wins, I want it to win because it is a tour de force. It's the, the first time a superhero film will win best picture. And because it really, really is. It's got it's got so much cultural significance, and it's not even about a real life yeah. country. Um, I, I don't want it to win because everyone has demanded it wins, and the white suits at the Oscars have gone fuck it, fine. You mm. know, to keep the ratings, we'll give in to that. Well, this is the thing: is I think I see two possibilities happen um, caused by the Oscars this year. The Oscars have been in controversy pretty much all year from the from the most popular film. Um, category from the fact that in the ad breaks the other awards the, the, the other less important um, in inverted commas awards are going to be put in the ad breaks um, of the ceremony and not actually in the full Oscars lineup uh, the Kevin Hart host situation that happened um, a couple of weeks ago um, and now the Oscars announcing that there is now um, no official host at all for the Oscars they're just going to have presenters. It's it's going and for the first time in thirty years, that's the case. So my predictions about Black Panther is that it's either going to win because it's gonna it's gonna be like a saving grace for them. Yeah, it's got what a great bit of PR after the mm. shitstorm they've had. However, also on the flip side of that, if they if it wins, the Oscars could face yet again more controversy, which they don't want. So they might just include Black Panther, but make sure it doesn't win. So it doesn't look tokenistic. I don't think that they'll receive any controversy if Black Panther wins. I'm just a bit of a skeptic and don't want it to win for the wrong we wrong wrong reasons. Wrong, wrong reasons. reasons. Ron Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes. Um, I think that if we're gonna predict this, I want Roma to win. I think you do as well. Mm-hmm. So let's say Roma for best picture. What's right. the next category? I'm gonna write these down before we actually forget about them. Uh, the next category is. Um, hang on. I've just been looking at the um, o- the performances at the Oscars about who's going to be performing. Uh, Jennifer Hudson is going to be performing. I think in a week, like a few weeks. 
um, which is very, very exciting. Uh, but that did, does mean that I would have got up for nominations for a second. <laughs> um, and now I'm scrambling to find them desperately. <laughs> hurry, Will, <laughs> hurry. People no, are waiting. <laughs> all good, all good. Um, I thought I bought time very well there. Um, actor in a leading role. We have Christian Bale for Vice, Bradley Cooper for A Star is Born, William Defoe, Willem Defoe for Eternity's Gate, Rami Malek for Bohemian Rhapsody, or Viggo the hippies, the hippie story. Is yeah. that what you were going to call it? Yeah, the, hi- the, the hippie story. The hippie story. <laughs> um, and Viggo Mortensen for the book The Green. Um, I think I had a different answer to this um, when the awards hadn't come out um, previously, like the Golden Globes and SAGs. Um, I think Rami Malek's going to get I it. I think Rami Malek's going to get it because I think if you look at all of that stuff, I think Bradley Cooper deserves it. I can't speak for Vice or at Eternity's Gate, but neither of them, I think, have been particularly, wow, have you seen so-and-so in that? Mm. Um, Viggo Mortensen in Green Book is delightful, but I don't think it's I don't think it's best actor-worthy. Uh, Poor so this Viggo Mortensen, who's been tr- doing so many amazing films, he's been nominated for Captain Fantastic, he's been nominated, I think, for Aragorn in Lord of the Rings. I don't think this is the film to win him a best actor award. Though. I agree. And yeah, I, 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 I think it will be Rami Malek. Um, this might be the way of the Academy giving a nod to Bohemian Rhapsody without giving it best picture. Mm, um, hopefully that's the case. If it gets best picture, I will riot. Hashtag In- Oscar conspiracy theories. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know what? If, if, if I'm true to myself, I want Bradley Cooper to win it. I mean, he, he directed and starred in that film. Mm. He, it was a tour de force. It was incredible. Um, it's I such still, a I shame. Sti- I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Um, it's such a shame that so it's not got the deserve it's wanted. So are we all. are we going to go with our hearts or our heads here? I think I'm, I think this one I want to reflect on our heads because so I let's go Rami Malek. Yeah, especially because uh, I especially was because I might bet money on right. this Oscars. So, actress in a leading role, we have Yalitza Aparicio for Roma. She plays Cleo. Yes. We have Glenn Close in The Wife, who has won a couple of awards now based on this performance. Right? Oh yeah. Um, we have Olivia Coleman for The Favourite. We have Lady Gaga for A Star Is Born and Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me. Now, I would love it if Yalitza Aparicio wins it, but she won't. She won't, but I would love it as well. Um, I think it's very possible that Glenn Close could win, but I don't have any insight into that film. I would love Olivia Coleman and or Lady Gaga to win. I mean, it can't be and. But like it can be and. I'd love. There are ties in Oscars all the time. What? Yeah. Have you not seen ties for ties for actress and actor what and do they both get the award they both get the award they both get the Oscar. when did that happen um it happened in oh I, I can't remember the exact years but i've watched so many oscar oscar nominate oscar clips where it, it they, they won um both won oscar barbara streisand for i think the funny girl won a joint oscar with another person i think it might have been katherine hepburn um, but it has happened okay. before, so it, c- it could well be a joke. But then we've, we've also, I forgot to men- mention Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me. Mm. Um, I have heard great things about Can You Ever Forgive Me. I don't think Melissa McCarthy will win the Oscar. If you if we were going between, you know, Glenn Close could win, but if we're going between the two that we really, really adore, Olivia Colman and Lady Gaga, who would you want to win more? I think... I think I think Lady Gaga. Oh, gone. I, I I asked you a question. I better fucking listen to the answer. Um, I think I think in terms of Glenn Close, I think she's won so many awards building up to it that I don't think she's going to win the main Oscar. I think it, I've seen like her winning awards for it as like she's not going to win the Oscar, but she's going to win the aw- other awards leading up to it. Um, I think the better Hollywood story is Lady Gaga winning it, but I also but she's thi- a bit Golden Globey though, isn't she? 
She's a bit golden. And if she didn't get it at Golden Globes, is she going to get it at the Oscars? Well. The, uh, that's I'm up the deep end watching Zadda. <laughs> oh, you know what? Fuck it. She's going <laughs> to win it, man. Mark my words. I love it so much. I, th- I think Olivia Coleman. Oh, it's Olivia Coleman or Lady Gaga for me. And I think Olivia Coleman is going to win big at the BAFTAs. And I don't I think she's going to win the Oscars. I think let's go with Lady Gaga. Mm, I think let's go with Lady Gaga. Um, my, the next one is actor in a supporting role. Uh, we have Mahershala Ali for Green Book. Mahershala Ali. I do apologize. Um, Adam Driver for Black Klansman, um, Sam Elliott for A Star Is Born, Richard E. Grant for Can You Ever Forgive Me, and Sam Rockwell for Vice. Um, for me, it's it's I would who I want in my heart to win it, Sam Elliott. Um, who I think will win it is Mahershala Ali. Um, for me, I think um, I don't think Adam Driver is going to get this. I don't think Sam Rockwell is going to get this. I think that the wild card here that we haven't seen is Richard E. Grant and I think he'll win it if I'm honest I think Richard E. Grant will get this Oscar Um, I think Sam Elliott is good in A Star Is Born he's a good character but there's only really one moment that is really like mind-bendingly good for me and it's the scene where he's driving up he's reversing out of the driveway and he's got the tear in his eye yes that is still to me one of the greatest moments I've ever seen on film Mm. Um, but I don't think that he necessarily deserves a supporting actor award for it. The rest of the role, up until you know that he's the brother, which is about half of the film, he doesn't really do anything of any significance. And it's so much about Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Yeah, I, I don't you, think he. D- you, I don't you think miss he's going to get it. Um, I, I also don't think. I, I don't think this is the role for Mahershala Ali to pick up another Oscar. Yes, I agree, but he has been clearing up in the supporting role category so mm. far. I think Richard E. Grant. What do you think? Um, are you going to go with your head, or are you going to follow your heart with Mahershala? Well, we have. Do, do we? We have critically. Do we have to agree on this? Yes, we do have to agree. Um, we're a unit. We're, we are a unit. So you've got to sway me into him. Um, but I would say that Mahershala Ali does have the background, but I also do think that Richard Richard E. Grant could surprise me. So let's go with Richard E. Grant for this one. Um, all right, it's a bit for me. It's more of a, it. It might be of a heart decision, but we'll go with Richard E. Grant for this. So, actress in a supporting role, you've got Amy Adams in Vice. I think she's not going to do it. Um, <laughs> Marina Tavira in Roma uh, butchered that. Also, probably not going to win. Mm. Regina King in If Beale Street Could Talk, who got the Golden Globe. Emma Stone and Rachel Vice for the favourite. Now, I want one of them to win, and we've had this debate. We've had this Constantly. argument already. I'm now erring on the side of I think Emma Stone is better in this film, which I think was your original argument. Mm-hmm. And I think we decided that I was maybe a little bit Rachel Weiss he- Vice heavy because it was the only thing I've ever liked her in. Yes. So it was like newcomer excitement. Um, I want Emma Stone to win this. I don't think, upon watching If Beale Street Could Talk, I don't think she deserves it. I don't. She plays it too naturalistically. It's an incredibly plain role and that could have been played much harder and we talk about if Beale Street could talk a lot and we talk about the problems with the plot is that it it discounts a lot of the supporting roles if that makes sense it focuses so much on the main couple that you miss scenes that you should see I feel like Regina King does suffer from that so yeah I'll go with you Emma Stone Emma Stone let's do it Um, animated feature film we have The Incredibles 2 Isle of Dogs Mirai, Ralph 
Wreck-It Ralph breaks the internet too, and Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. I think it'll be criminal if Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse does not win yeah, this. Yeah, mate, no, I completely agree. I think it deserves it. I think the only one that could notch it is Mirai, which we haven't seen, mm-hmm. um, which is a Japanese cartoon. It's meant to be pretty pretty incredible. Um, but I do think everything that Spider-Man represented and the, the writing and the cast, and the, it was just it was such an ensemble tour de force. And as, um, a, as, as an animated film, it pushed the boundaries of what animated films can do, yeah. which is what... Uh, you should win an award for yeah completely yeah. completely uh, that's quite um, an easy one to, to talk about yeah done so we'll run through some some of the other ones a bit quicker because they're, they're not as important <laughs> imagine if you I said that in the <laughs> on the evening well yeah um cinematography so we've got cold war the favorite never look away roma and a star is born i had a few problems with the way the favorite was shot it kind of looked a bit GoPro-y at times, so I'm not going to say that this one deserves it for cinematography. I think Cold War is unanimously kind of referred to as this incredible cinematic experience and will probably win it. But I think Roma as well, the way it did its tracking shots and its long scenes and everything unfolding on one screen, like it was, it was pretty, inspe- it was pretty special. A Star Is Born has got really good cinematography as well. We yeah, always, I always forget about that because it's not the main feature of the film. Yeah, but what the way that Bradley Cooper makes it natural and it's all these sort of like intense um panning shot panning shots onto the different people and you just you and like the sam elliott scene it's all in the in the lighting and then that scene where they're playing um the the the, the one where they're getting on the plane and then the, the rock songs playing and they get on stage it's it's really good yeah it is um, it really does make you feel like you're on stage in front of all those people do, do i think it's gonna win no but i do i i also think it, it, it could it's not ruled out my personal opinion is that Either Cold War is going to win this and only this, or Roma is going to win and it's not going to win the Best Picture. Let's go for Roma. Let's go for Roma. Because we love it so much. <laughs> Costume design. We have The Ballad of Buster Scru- Scruggs, uh, Mary Zoprez, uh, Black Panther, Ruth Carter, The Favourite, Sandy Powell, Mary Poppins Returns, Sandy Powell again, and Mary Queen of Scots, Alexander Burke. Not, a- not Alexander Burke. <laughs> Broken Heels, great song. Um, now, it's been an impressive year for costume design with these films. I mean, you've got you've got three period pieces and two incredibly kind of stunning, like, fictional films. Yep. Um, I think Black Panther will win this. I completely agree I with you. I have never... But, but I think it because costume design is always lauded by period piece films. I don't think that the favourite, as striking as they look, I don't think that the favourite of Mary Queen of Scots did anything that hasn't really been done before. With Mary Queen of Scots, um, it looks very sort of like the Elizabeth the Golden Age, yeah, like the type of no, type com- of costume. Completely, and we've done Wild West films before. As good as Buster Scruggs is, we've done that before. We've also more or less seen the costumes of Mary Poppins Returns and the original Mary Poppins. You can't just so give a costume design award for Mary Pop- Poppins's different colours of outfits. No, exactly. Um, so uh, considering Black Panther brought this full kind of like African style to it, Afrocentric, yeah, beauty. W- w- which was like, you know, a, l- a lot of the audience that watched that film is not familiar with that kind of design. And it was even, I was being completely blown away by some of the stuff that was being worn. Um, I wanted to know more about it at the time. And I mm. remember actively researching kind of the different types of clothing that were worn and they're all real styles and real African um, pieces and embroidery and all this incredible stuff. Um, 
I think because that film simply made me look stuff up and want to find out more about the costumes that were worn in the and movie. Specifically the costumes. And specifically And their history. I think it deserves it. It Correct. was incredible. Um, in terms of best director, you've got Spike Lee for Black Klansman. Powell Palawilu... Oh, I can't say it. Powell Palakowski for Cold War. Yorgos Lanthimos for The Favourite. Alfonso Cuaron for Roma. And Adam McKay for Vice. Um, for me, this is a Yorgos Lanthimos Alfonso Cuaron fight. Yep. We can't vote Roma for everything it's nominated for, Will. I think. I will say though, I think that the, the best director thing is another is a thing that Alfonso Cuaron has been keening up with. Yeah. Um, and, and although it, we it, can't do Roma for everything, I think. But if Roma's going to get anything, it's probably like it's it's direction it'll get direction it might get cinematography and it and it might get best picture those well, are the we three go, we go roma again i believe roma again um i think we should skip documentary features if we haven't seen any of them uh, no um, and short subject let's go to film editing yep uh film editing we have black Klansman, uh barry eggs alexander brown bohemian rhapsody john ottman the favorite uh your Oh my gosh, there's another there's Yorgos. There's another Yorgos. <laughs> That's blown my mind. Yeah, now try and say that surname. Mavro... No. Mavro Pasiridis. No, Mavro Saridis. Mavro Saridis. I think. Yorgos Mavro Saridis. That is a tongue twister and a half. Um, Green Book, uh, Patrick J. Don Vito, and Vice, Hank Corwin. Um, for me, if Bohemian Rhapsody wins this film editing thing, when they have a very basic... Um, basic part of the film editing where they're like they're playing in london they're playing in brazil oh whoa hold on we're gonna we're gonna disagree here man because i think imagine editing together that live aid sequence to make it like for like exactly the same as the actual performance i think if bohemian rhapsody deserves to win anything as tacky I, i agree with you in the sense that some of its editing throughout the film is quite tacky but because of the simple real life moments that it managed to recreate in perfect time and it was eerie how that felt it was insane um i think it deserves it i think i d- i agree that the last 15 minutes of the bohemian rhapsody performance is amazing um it's the best part of that film by a lot country mile i just have a problem because the rest of the film's editing is so basic and so and it doesn't do anything with editing yeah i i I, I think with the Oscars is that you want to be able to see the work of the editing and not be boring editing that's just sort of like paced screen, 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 screen. For me, I think I think the favourite should win the film editing thing. Okay, fair uh, enough. That, that's, um, that's my... Well, let's, you know what, let's go with the favourite then because I do think the editing is pretty spectacular in it. If yeah. Some of the cinematography is a bit off. Um, skipping down a bit, music, original score, best original score. We've got Black Panther, Ludwig Goransson. We've got Black Klansman, Terence Blanchard. We've got If Beale Street Could Talk, Nicholas Bissell. Isle of Dogs, Alexandra Desplat. And Mary Poppins Returns, Mark Scheiman. I want Black Panther to win this. Um, I think it's, it's incredible the way the music imbues that film. Um, if you can give it any credit, I think that costume design and musical score are two of the biggest factors in that film. True, and it, it that w- film wouldn't be what it is without the sound effects and the set and prop design. Mm. And the score is so heavily talked about, even t- even to this day, yeah. about it being groundbreaking. Like you can you can critique the 
acting performances. You can treat you can critique the story. You can critique the length and the, the some of the ways it's shot. But I do think the two things that stand up on its uh, on its own two feet and then some are the costume design and the music. Yeah, because they're removed from the whole ma- the the Marvel Cinematic Universe like generic sounds creations. I mean that the the amount of ones from like Captain America's sound and all the and all the sort of Marvel sounds apart from the Iron Man music is pretty unremarkable. There's nothing really about those scores that are anything exciting. Black Panther's departure was fantastic. Um, I completely agree with you. Uh, music, uh, original song, All the Stars from Black Panther, music by Kendrick Lamar, and there's a mark with a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll Fight from RBG, uh, music and lyrics by Diane, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> the films uh, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. We can't read them. Just say um, the films. <laughs> I'll stop after that. The Place Where Lost Things Go from Mary Poppins, Shallow from A Star Is Born, and when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Have you watched the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I have not watched that. It is a delightful film. Very weird, but delightful film. Now, if that wins with the song When a Cowboy Trades His Spurs for Wings, I will laugh so hard. Because that moment in the film is a moment where Buster Scruggs gets shot, which is in the first ten minutes of the film, and he morphs out of his body as a dead version of himself with angel wings and a harp and flies slowly up to heaven singing this like yodeling song about when a cowboy trades his spurs for wings and it is it goes on for about five minutes it's completely ridiculous and it like the idea of that winning best original song is so farcical in my mind that i just really really want it to happen do you think that's realistically going to happen no it's, of course it's not going to happen <laughs> um, shallow's going to win obviously shallow's going to win it um production design we've got black panther the favorite First Man, which completely slipped our radar. Um, and it's also slipped a lot of award seasons. Like First Man isn't even up for a Best Picture award. Well, do you remember what when happened we were, with that film? Do you remember like week 20, was it like 22 or something, where we were like, we've got to review First Man because it will definitely be in the Oscars. Yeah, we've well, got it's a Damien Chazelle film. Exactly. Like fucking um, La La Land and Whiplash. Yeah. And then also, um, do you remember the, um, um, the, oh, what's the, what's the film? I can't even remember the name of it now. Um, the film at the hotel, Bad Bad Times at the El Royale. Yes, that also where is it? Not yeah. there at all. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, thought yeah, that would be so Oscar baiting. Mate, there are some films that we have not done. We should go back and review them yep. next month when I'm in New Zealand. Yeah, definitely. Oh, we haven't we haven't snuck that into the uh, audience yet. <laughs> Jake's going to be away for a month, and who knows what's going to happen? Yes. Calamity will ensue. Calamity will ensue, but I also think we've we've dealt we've created so far a sort of a, a sort of mini plan that sounds great, which we're not going to share yet. But like I'm excited for that month because I think that we can we can we can do creative things. With More it. to come next week. Exactly. Um, but no. So production design: Black Panther, The Favorite, First Man, Mary Poppins Returns, and Roma. Personally, I think I can imagine the production design on First Man must have been so difficult. Like oh imagine yeah. Imagine recreating all of that. Um, I don't think The Favorite was that as uh, as cool as it looks. I don't think it's that fucking hard to go to Buckingham Palace and shoot scenes. No. Um, wasn't Buckingham, but yes. I. I, I think Roma deserves a lot of credit in this category because, I mean, God, he filmed it in the house opposite his childhood home. Mm-hmm. It's not a set. It is physical. Everything in that film is real setting. Um, Mary Poppins Returns is just, you know, and, and Black Panther are so lavish and they're so expensive set-wise. I don't think that necessarily means they deserve to win. Um, what do you think? Um well, I, 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 I assume what from that is that it's either Roma or First Man for you. 
Um, I think first, maybe first man will just do it because I mean, imagine trying to recreate all of that. Yeah, I that's think that's a hell of a production. Yeah, let, let's say I, first and a lot man. of that. I remember reading a lot of that wasn't green screen. A lot of that was genuine, like the way they make the effects in Star Wars. They go mm. back to you know actually by building things. And, stuff. and I think I think that will be a, a, the award that first man might be a, able to win. Okay, all right, well um, let's go with first man. In terms of there's a few more we can skip but should we go to sound editing uh can i quickly just talk about because we've not seen many of these films short film animators i just want to say so the films that nominated are animal behavior bow late afternoon one small step and weekends i've seen none of them but do you remember how we felt after we watched bow bow the dumpling one yes yeah bow is the film that comes at the beginning of incredibles 2 yeah that's and the only one we've watched out of this. It, yeah, <laughs> miles better. Um, I actually saw someone eating a dumpling in the street the other day, and I nearly cried. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, no, that's your child. <laughs> um, yeah, that was great, and yeah. I hope that wins. Yes, I have no concept of what the other films are, though. Yeah. They could. I don't think we should add it to the list of no. this list, but I just want. I just want to say, I hope that wins. So, sound editing and sound mixing are more or less exactly the same. You've got sound editing I, I would i would i would struggle to like i i, I completely agree with you there's gonna be so many people who'll be like that's wrong jake <laughs> in that yeah. voice well anyway sound editing and sound mixing um films up for it are black panther bohemian rhapsody first man and roma the difference is sound editing a quiet place has got an award Ooh. And Sound Mixing, A Star is Born, has got an award. Now, I want A Quiet Place to win sound editing. The, 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 that is the only film on here that truly used, in my opinion, used sound and the lack thereof as, a, as, as almost a key character in the plot of the film. It was a, it, it was a device that was like not just sort of tapped into like it is in Roma, hearing all the natural sounds and things going on. It is like deliberately engineered to be as impactful as possible. I really, really want a quiet place to win this. Yep, I, um, I completely agree. I think a quiet place should win this. I think it's very clever what they've done. With and then I think I think sound mixing Bohemian Rhapsody will get it. Uh, yes, I think you're probably right. Because I mean, fuck, they used real Queen lyrics, and the way they've mixed that all in is insane. Yep. Um, visual effects, um, Avengers Infinity War, uh, Christopher Robin, First Man, Ready Player One, and the nomination for Solo, A Star Wars Story, Episode One, Episode Will. One, people. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I've been saying that we should go with our heads rather than our hearts. Yeah, fuck just it, we'll go with our hearts this just time. Just for this one, can we go for S- Solo, A Star yes, Wars Story? Yes, absolutely. Because actually... The, the effects are amazing. And it's it's effects like Rogue One. Rogue One's st- effects in Star Wars are so realistic, so on point. Same with Solo, Star Wars Story. They're s- they, they, they look real. Avengers Infinity War, sometimes, although the effects are amazing, sometimes it does look like a complete CGI green screen circa Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, like, it, it's, it's, it doesn't always work. Um, First Man, I'm sure, that has they, they put a lot of work into that as well. Ready Player One, no. Uh, Christopher Robin, no. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I mean, I, mean I, I also say that it's probably Solo A Star Wars Story probably won't win, but... Ready Player One, like... <laughs> Well, you know, they've got to they've got to put in popular films somewhere, Jake. Well, <laughs> they don't have a category for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're down to our final two nomination categories. So one of them is 
writing adapted screenplay. Writing. <laughs> writing. <laughs> um, the nominees for adapted screenplay are The Ballad of Buster Scruggs by the Coen Brothers, Black Klansman by Charlie Wachtel, and Can dot dot dot. <laughs> <laughs> Can You Ever Forgive Me by Nicole, dot dot dot. If Beale Street Could Talk by dot dot dot. Written for, and I love this, it says written for the screen by dot dot dot. <laughs> um, and A Star Is Born, screenplay by Eric Roth and dot Will dot Will Fetters. <laughs> I just screw you up over that. I just clicked on um, it. So adapted screenplay wise, I, I think that the only real merit to If Beale Street Could Talk is how well it's adapted a, a book. But yes. then I think that Can You Ever Forgive Me is kind of I don't know, man. I don't know. It's not. It's not Buster Scruggs or Black Clan. Oh, it could be Black Clansman. For me, oh, fuck. It could be Black Clansman. Uh, for me, it's Star is Born because it's based on four films, and yeah. they've had to adapt it four times. And, and the what they created for it out to be of that good for it to be that good after the story's been told three separate times um, is. <laughs> People on the podcast have no idea what I'm laughing Sorry. with. I'm not gonna. T- I'm not gonna say what I'm laughing at because I don't think I'm allowed to. Just generally. Basically, I just farted. Yeah, we're exactly. in a very small studio space. Yes. Um, Star is born. Yep. Let's move on. Yep. Um, final award. Uh, final award is writing uh, original screenplay. Um, the favorite, written by Deborah, Deborah Davis. Davis and dot dot dot. Deborah Davis. I'm De- <laughs> gonna actually get these right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. De- Deborah Davis and Tony McNara. Um, Actually, I'm not going to do that because this goes back straight to the top. So we just have to scroll. Um, First Reformed, written by Paul Schrader. Uh, Green Book, written by Nick Vallelonga. Um, dot, dot, dot. Uh, Roma, written by Alfonso Cuaron. And Vice, written by Adam McKay. Um, I think that um, we we wanted the favourite to win this when we did the Golden Globes. I maintain that. I think you trim, there's no ounce of fat to be trimmed off that film. And yep. I think every line is important and punchy and like satirical and witty and uh, it's everything. I really want the favourite to win. And um, and as I've talked about previously, Deborah Davis and Tony McNara have been, have got, had that script in sort of Hollywood back, back of the mind for years and years and years and years and years. And they've been editing it and changing it and etc. So for it to be so concise and so great, I think they've got it mm. for the favourite. Fantastic. Do you want to have a full run through? I, let's not bore people with that. I think let's um, let's wait until the Oscars come out and then we'll talk about how many we got right. Yep. And how many we catastrophically got wrong. And how much money we lost. <laughs> how much money we gained. Because I actually, should we put some bets on? I'm putting some bets on. I'm sorry. Oh, let's yes. do it. Let's should do it. We do, should we do one pound for everything we wanna? We've just talked about. Yeah. Okay. We can scrape. <laughs> we can scrape the bucket. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> we we can probably cobble that together yeah. between me and you. <laughs> Thank God we didn't. Put After payday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. After payday. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Okay. Well, those are our Oscar predictions. We'd love to know what you guys think as well. So please do drop us a message. Now we are on to the reviews of the week. We have got the Lego Movie Two and Alita Battle Angel. Now, Will, dealer's choice. What would you like to be discussed first? Um, I would personally quite like to start with the lego movie Go is that it, okay mate. yeah mate take it away so tell us about the lego movie 2 what's going on what's cracking what you <laughs> like what you disliked and whether people should go and see it um so first of all it's actually not called the lego movie 2 it's called lego movie 2 the second part which i love um i think it's i think it speaks to the idea of this film which w- after coming out the cinema i was like okay 
who is this film actually for? And what the answer, I believe, is, is it's not for kids anymore. It's got really good morals, but it's, it's kind of for that sort of, like, 20s to 30s to 40s generation who, like, have played with Lego um, previously in their lives as kids. Like, everyone's played with Lego at some point. It's been around for so long. Um, but are looking back on it now with childhood nostalgia and are also getting, like, very funny pop culture references. This film is a sequel to um, Lego Movie. It, it takes place um, at the beginning of the film directly after the uh, events of Lego Movie 1, where the film ends on a cliffhanger where all of the um, the characters in... Um, the, the, the character like these duplo type of like characters invade yeah and that's yeah. where the film is left um it's and quite a good ending it's qu- I, I love the lego movie one i think it's a great film um and we pick up from the original place called bricksburg is now called apocalypse apocalypse bricksburg um it's been ransacked by a constant war between the duplo um creatures from um, the cis the the sistar um the sistar cluster or the sistar <laughs> no sis it's it's called sistar it's very properly called sistar um and versus the the Bricksburg p- population um you then have um Chris Pratt as um Emmett and Elizabeth Banks as Lucy they live in a house together at this point um this Lego house and. There is a tension between t- the two of them because... Who voices Lucy? Lucy is vo- voiced by Elizabeth Banks. Right, yeah. Um, there is a tension between the two of them because Lucy wants Emmett to be more tough and Emmett sees himself as not being tough and is breaking himself up ab- about it. Um, cut to the introduction of General Sweet Mayhem, played by Stephanie Beatrice, um, who is an intergalactic mini-doll who is the general of the Sistarm army and who works under the orders of Queen, whatever her name is, I think her name is, no, whatever Wanobi, whatever Wanabi, that's her, that's her name, um, and she captures all of Emmett's friends, which includes um, Benny, the spaceship builder, yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman, um, oh, metal, not Batman. <laughs> metal Beard, um, and the Princess Unkitty, who is the unicorn horned cat, yeah, yeah, yeah. who has like a person, borderline personality disorder, being very happy, and then at some point in this film, she turns into a like hate monster. Um, it's great. Um, wh- how can I how can I talk about this film more than that? Um, you also have an ca- introduction t- up to a character called Rex Rex Danger Vest, who I'm not going to tell you who voices it because it's actually a spoiler. Um, who is essentially a galaxy defending archaeologist, cowboy, and rap Is it Harrison Ford? It's not Harrison Ford. Okay. Um, the character is an a- amalgamation of other roles that have been played by Chris Pratt previously, um, which is quite interesting. That's to clever. Yeah, it's very, very clever. Um, this film acts as a tension between the meta nature of it being like, like the first one, you had Will Ferrell as Lord Business and President Business. Um, who was the evil character, but who also played in the real world the dad. In this film, you have Maya Rudolph as the mum, who is trying to break up fights between the sister and the brother. This film in the the human world takes place about five or six years later. So the brother has grown older, the sister is now about 10, the brother is about 14. Um, And it is the battle between the Sistar region and the Bricksburg region is essentially the battles of playing together of brothers and sisters. Emmett in the future has a vision of um, our Mama Geddon 
um, where some, where all the characters are pull, put into this void. Um, I'm not going to spoil what, how exactly that happens because it's actually quite a clever twist at the end. But this film plays off of the fact the sister and the uh, brother relationship throughout the whole of it. The meta nature of the film is much more important in this film than it was in the previous Lego movie. Um, but it also plays off the relationship between Lucy and Lucy and Emmett. Um, and it's that, I think, is the focus point of the film, more than the meta nature of it. It's really nice story between the two of them about what you do in a relationship that changes you. And do you make sacrifices to, to, to be more loved by someone? Or in the end, do you just be authentic to y yourself? And does that, um, is that good enough? Um, it's a really interesting um, topic they talk about with it. Um, now I've done most of the plot with this film, I'm just going to talk about the ridiculousness of the jokes. Because the main thing about this film is that the plot that I've tried to explain briefly is a bit all over the place. It follows a nice even keel. You have moments where they're going through galaxies. There are moments where you, you drop into like weird systems, etc. But most of this film is all about the comedy. Will Arnett is Batman as per usual, have does a fantastic job. In have this you film. watched the Lego Batman movie? I, have I not, haven't not. seen it, but I really want to watch no, it. No, I really want to watch it. Apparently it's good, but it's not the Lego movie. Okay. Um, and then there was also another Lego animated film, like the, the ninja one, the Zing Zing Zango or something. Oh, there was a Ninjago one, That's wasn't it? That's it, yeah, yeah, when yeah. When did yeah, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I that came out that. last year, that I flew say. Out, That flew under the radar. That completely flew under the radar. Um, in this film, you have Batman having a more, much more starring role than he did in the original Lego movie. Uh, Batman is betrothed in this film to um, Queen whatever Wanabi, um, who is played by Tiffany Haddish, and there is the best m song in this film called "Gotham City Guys," where um, Queen whatever Wanabi want needs to convince Batman that um, Batman wants to marry her, and Batman's like, "Oh, I can't think of marriage. Imagine something that heals." that heals your life in an emotional way. I can't deal with that. <laughs> he says, I think he says the phrase at one point in the film, which is my favourite phrase I've ever heard in a film. Um, hang on, let's just find it. Um, it's it's perfect. I carry my tortured past in my glutes. Because <laughs> he's getting a massage. <laughs> it's the funniest line ever. Um, and um, she, the queen basically convinces Batman to marry her um, in a film, in a thing called Gotham City Guys, because she's like, I'm not really into that Gotham City guy. Like he's really moody and depressed, <laughs> and etc. Like I'm, I'm, and she says in it, Kryptonian um, men are my kryptonite, and so she just keeps on riffing off Superman, and then Superman and Batman like have a like a proper like rivalry in this film, which I find hilarious. Um, you've also got lines for like Noel Fielding appears in this film as a uh, an ice teen vampire, and it makes a point of it. It's like you don't trust him. He's a vampire. It's like, I'm not a vampire. I'm a teen vampire. I'm into styling my hair and looking fancy. Um, and he says, and he says to a uh, character, she's a real grumple dumpus. Like the <laughs> film has these lines that are just kinda, so good. It kind of sounds like uh, Teen Titans go to the movie. It's so it? Teen Titans go to the movie. There's a, there's a moment in the film where you're like, like we can't even have Aquaman in the film because that's been done anymore. We just have basic Aquaman and Larry Poppins. Who is just this like character who's like I'm Larry Poppins? <laughs> we don't because they don't have the rights to Mary Poppins anymore. Um, and uh, what else? Th they also there's a thing called Everything Is Not Awesome in the last scene where all the characters there's a fake ending of this film which is a really depressing ending. And it goes to the end and it's like 
hang on, this film can't end unpositively, and they sing Everything is Not Awesome, and one of the lines is, I think I finally get Baby O'Head. <laughs> um, and the funniest bit, I'm just going through all the funny bits of this film, because that, I think, is the most important bit of this film, because there's just so many funny moments. The funniest bit of this film is the recurring appearance of Bruce Willis as Bruce Willis in various air ducts <laughs> throughout the film. He's just like Bruce Willis. Oh, hi, Bruce Willis. <laughs> hi, I'm just climbing through this air duct. I li- basically live here now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then him just jumping off skyscrapers and then just like Batman going, Bruce. Um, <laughs> it's what? so funny. Um, the other best thing about this film is it has the best credit sequence I've ever seen opening or closing closing they do up they do a they do some cinematography that is um it's like oh it's like on a roll so it's this rolling thing um that just keeps on keeps on rolling around but they have different combinations of lego and actual lego it doesn't look like it's graphic design or animation they have just lego rolling around and they have different combinations and you have a song called super cool by beck (laughs) robin and lonely island where Lonely Island do the raps to it, and it's like, yeah, it's the credits. You're li- you're looking forward to th- th- watching writing on screen, <laughs> and all this <laughs> stuff that goes on behind it. It's great. Um, the graphics are fantastic. I think they've actually upped the graphic capacity from the first film, um, which is amazing. It's really it's really cool they've been able to do that. They've got some great casting in this. They've got um, Noel Fielding, as previously mentioned. They have um, Richard Ayawadi as an ice cream cone who is constantly getting upset that people are trying to use him to, like, be, like, everyone's depressed and everyone, like, turns to the ice cream cone. And he's like, I'm depressed. I don't want this. Like, he just plays it very deadpan. You have Ralph Fiennes as Alfred Pennyworth, (laughs) uh, which is a really nice touch. You have Ben Schwartz as Banana, a sentient banana peel who is a citizen and jester of the Sistar system. Essentially, it's just him with small legs just falling down things. Um, (laughs) You have... um, the great acting pairing of Channing Tatum as Superman and Jonah Hill as Green Lantern. Uh, you have Kobe Smulders as Wonder Woman, who um, who has there's very weird Wonder Woman. But you have three different Wonder Woman. You have the Duplo Wonder Woman, you have the normal Wonder Woman, and, and then you have this like miniature Wonder Woman who's like like three feet tall. Um, very odd. You also have later on in the film Jason Momoa as actual Aquaman turn up. You have two versions of Aquaman. What, but not a Lego character, like real Aquaman. No, Lego character Aquaman. Oh right. But like l- the Lego character version of him, like the built tattoos and the brown hair, as opposed to the other Aquaman who's all in orange and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the blonde hair. Um, you've got some really, really good p- castings. Will Ferrell makes a voice appearance of some description, which is quite funny. Um, my main problem with this film is that the plot is just a bit all over p- the place. I like the moral tale they're trying to tell with it. I the plot itself about what things go to where are problematic, and there is some really problematic business with some time travel in the film. Um, it doesn't make sense. It it is a bit of a distraction. They do say a funny lines like, "Time travel never really works in movies," but we just sort of let let it happen and it's all fine. <laughs> but um, even still, it is quite jarring. Yeah. Um, and the general plot it just goes from so many planet to planet to system to etc that you're not grounded and i also wanted to see more of the apocalyptic bricksburg because the first 20 minutes of the film essentially plays out like something from mad max where you have um a big crazy spaceship 
um, versus all these apocalyptic garb with Batman like trying to save the day with like his armored um, bat cave, which is like the cave in Mad Max. Um, and I would want to see more of that. Um, okay. I think that was, that's a really important part of the film. Generally, I don't think it's as good a novel as the original Lego movie, but I do think it's funnier, and that's important. So you think that they... I mean, I think Phil Lord and Chris Miller as a writing duo, they're, they're getting better over time. They mm. started the 21 Jump Street. They really found their niche. Then they kind of struck a whole new chord with the Lego movie. They did a terrific job with Spider-Man. I think it's only Phil Lord that does the Spider-Man Spider-Verse film. I, I can't remember. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're getting better and better. They're getting sharper with time. They're getting more in tune with kind of cultural zeitgeist as well. They kind of they're better at picking up on what audiences want to see mentioned in films. Definitely, um, I think the problem with this film is more to do with levied at Mike Mitchell, uh, the director, and rather than the writing team. I think the writing is fantastic. I think the direction, whilst the um, animation direction by Trisha Gunn is stunning, they do amazing sequences. Um, the the direction I think is a bit edited together a bit haphazardly for my liking. Mm. Um, the other thing I quite like about this film, and the other thing that I think is quite a nice inclusion, is that there are lots of musical numbers, more than the first film. Um, you have a very funny song about qu- called Not Evil, where the um, the Queen, whatever, Wanabi, played by Tiffany Haddish, um, just does a song about how she's not evil, definitely not evil, she's definitely not evil, and then just com- does all these things which are like not e- completely not evil. Um, and it's got a really good soundtrack behind it. I love that Lonely Island are on it. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, I'll just go into critic quotes now because I feel like that's that's pretty much it. Um, it's just a really, really funny, great time. Um, my best description is from Tim Graham from About Boulder, which is confusing. About <laughs> that's a nice boulder. That's such a boulder. <laughs> that's such a nice boulder How trick. How talk <laughs> about this boulder? Um, he says, I can live with the Lego Movie 2, the second part, occupying, occupying a slightly less level than its predecessor. I'm pleased we've got a sequel that's still motivated to do more than simply coast on the goodwill gained from the original. And I think that's true. I think that whilst the film is not as novel as the first one, what is novel about it is that they're doing a different direction by making it much more like a punchline, comedy-heavy musical film, as opposed to the first one, which was much more of a um, overall nice narrative that was well-constructed and was really funny, but also like it, it accords with you. This film is not at m- any point has the emotional intensity of the first one. Okay. Um, the meta narrative does not work as well, um, and it does mean that you lose some of the emotion, but you definitely get some of the most of the humor. And my worst description is by Adam Graham of the Detroit News. You mean most savage? Most savage. So I just said best description twice. No, you said worst description, but that's a common mistake because sometimes the most savage quote can be the best description of the film. Very, very true. As with Sin City. <laughs> God, could have got a bloody start on Sin Bloody City. Anyway, um, he says Lego 2 is like stepping on Lego, which is painful. Um, and that's his point. That's his point. Done. Simple, quick, effect- effective. Um, I disagree with him completely. I think that he's just being a bit... I think that you could not like this film if you're expecting the first one, but I think this film does enough new good stuff that it's it's great. Okay, so what um, would you what would you give it out of ten then? Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. It's good. 
Wow, you love it that much. Um, the first like the, the first Lego movie I was not expecting to like like, and I watched it in cinemas, and I fell in love with it. Yeah. And I would give the first Lego movie an eight point five, if not a nine. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Fair much. enough. It is terrific. Th- so this film is not as good as Lego movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still a very good movie. I had mm. I found myself sitting being in a cinema. I was one of the few people of my generation there. It was mainly adults with their younger kids, and the adults with their younger kids were finding it funny. But they weren't getting the m- the main jokes. I was howling. Yeah. I was. I had a really bad day the day before, and I was like, I want a film that makes me laugh. And I was every single joke. I was laughing at. But it's it's funny, isn't it? Because there's always been a through line in these big kind of popular animated kids films that there's a lot of humor in there for adults. But nowadays we are kind of the demographic that these films reach the oh most yeah. because a lot of adults that take their kids to see films like the Lego movie aren't so in tune with kind of the cultural uh, zeitgeist that they are familiar with everything <laughs> that is being made reference to. If you are like a frequent YouTube watcher and if you kind of you're, you're up to date on your kind of celebrity news and your Netflix and all this kind of crap, you're probably going to enjoy these films more than the 30, 40 year old range that are taking their kids to see it. And it's also the people, the, the, the casting of this film is, is, I think, completely catered to us as an audience. You've got all the, you've got all the people from mi- a mixture of childhood films and people that you know that do serious roles that are doing very, very silly roles in it. And you've got also like comedians like Noel Fielding and Richard Iowardi in it. Yeah. Who did The Mighty Boosh? Like that appeals to our generation. Richard Iowardi did not do The Mighty Boosh. No, but he was in it. Was he in the Mighty Boosh? He's Baloo. <gasps> no way. Yes, he's Baloo. And he's in it multiple times. He's in it four times, I think. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, that passed me by. Yeah, no, he's not. He's definitely not the writer of it. So that's Julian Barrett and Ralph Fielding. But he's in it and he's good. Damn, man. I've got to give it a rewatch. Oh. I love them on the Big Fat Quiz of the Year every year. It's oh, Noel Fielding so and Richard Iowardi. And they give up most, like, two questions in. And then they just end up writing absolute bollocks. It's I I, just, I find that much funnier than Russell Brand and Noel Fielding doing it. Okay. They were funny once, but not so anymore. So uh, on to Alita. Well, I'm excited. So, so Lego Movie 2, 8 out of 10 from Will. That's very strong, very strong. Now, I U-turned and I watched Alita Battle Angel instead. We both realised, like, Will seems to not be keen on this film in any way, shape or form. I, I have a real problem with the, sp- the mixture between special effects and non-special effects. And I have also a real problem with the trailers that make it look like it's just a, a, a stupid action film with no heart. Yeah, so so I was sort of a, of a similar mindset when I saw the trailers. I, I was worried that this was going to be one of those big, epic, heavily FX James Cameron films that kind of was very glossy but didn't really have much heart and was actually a bit boring. Yeah. And also, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, James Cameron, but also with Robert Rodriguez, who obviously does not do the best special effects in the world. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because Robert Rodriguez comes, I mean, God, the man did Sin City, which I think is our lowest rated film of the podcast. Um, he's he's done Machete and Machete Kill. He's done so much crap. Spy Kids 3 um, is terrible. Yeah, well, yeah, but the original, wait, Spy Kids 3D? I hate Spy Kids 3. Mate, it's, one of the, it's the best Spy Kids film. What? Wait, uh, yeah. And you know what? You know what is funny? Like, the influence of the Spy Kids series in this film, but also Spy Kids 3D specifically, um, you, you can really tell in this oh, movie that he's carried it through. This is also, like, a, a, another easy comparison, but that's not really that justified to Alita Battle Angel would be Ready Player One that came out last year, which I enjoyed, but it wasn't that great. 
um, but as kind of quite an overly CGI'd film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the trailers do this film a disservice. I also think that when you see James Cameron and the 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 producers of Titanic and Avatar come up on a screen in a trailer, a lot of people look at that and think, <gasps> yawn, like, again, another big, super huge, fuck-off budget film from guys that don't really understand what an audience wants mm. anymore. Um, we're in a very kind of quick consumption generation now, but we're also in the rise of independent filming and uh, independent movies um, being really what takes the cake. I mean, look at how many nominations Roma's got. Look at all these other films are getting so much recognition now that they would not have got 10 or 15 years ago in the early 2000s. Um, so those were the concerns with this film. And then I saw last week that it was starting to get some pretty good reviews. One of my favourite reviewing bodies is Little White Lies. And uh, they do a thing with their reviews where they do three scores out of five. They do one for kind of anticipation of the film, one for kind of general content, and one for lasting impact. Um, And they're quite tough with their reviewing. But they gave this a two for kind of anticipation because they thought the same reasons me and Will have just discussed. And then it got a four for content and a four for lasting impact. Um, It blew them out of the water emotionally and kind of graphically. Now, I thought, I've got to go and see this film. So I went and watched it this afternoon. And this is based on a manga series. Now, we have all sorts of manga adaptations out there that have just not worked. Most recently, we had Scarlett Johansson doing the Ghost in the Shell film, Mm -hmm. which was, like, critically and commercially, it was a, a massive failure. Um, so it's a tough market to do, especially with two kind of uh, two white American directors. Um, but they've they've done it pretty damn well. This film is not overly long. It's not overly CGI'd as much as you think it is from the trailers. It has some of the best fight sequences I think I've ever seen in a film. Really. And it, 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 it's got a lot of heart. It is a really well-told, well-structured story that sets it up for further films. Um, you, you basically, you follow the character of Alita, who is essentially, um, she's a cyborg who is found in a junkyard by Dr. Dyson Edo, who's played by Christoph Waltz. Um, and he is kind of a he's a renowned scientist on the kind of the iron I- in the iron city and the concept of this is there was a this, uh, this is in the 26th century and there was a huge war 300 years ago and it's now referred to as the fall where all of these cities were held up by crazy engineering to be sort of in the air they were like floating cities and there was a huge war and there's only one floating city left now, which is called like Colsor or Pulsum or something. I can't remember what it's called. But essentially there's one left and all of its refuse gets chucked out of this central gauge down to the ground, um, which Iron City is formed around um, on kind of like the lower planet. Um, and so essentially it's that classic age-old Hunger Games style narrative of there's the upper echelons that are living in the floating city and everyone else has forgotten about lower down below. Now, Dr. Dyson Edo finds sort of the upper body and head of Alita um, and kind of restores her back to full function. Um, And her brain is still intact. She's got an incredible human brain, but she has no memory of kind of her past or her existence or who she is. But they obviously know that she came from the upper city. 
Um, and I don't want to say too much because if people haven't seen this, and I anticipate there'll be a lot of people that know about this film that watch the podcast, listen to the podcast, but probably haven't got this in the diary to go and watch. I really do urge you to go and see it, especially on a big screen. I think this is a film to watch in a cinema rather than watch at home when it comes out on DVD or comes out on streaming um, because it is such a spectacle. But it, um, it, it kind of, it, it's a story that follows an incredible amount of twists and turns. It has an incredibly engaging range of characters. You've also got Jennifer Connolly in this film who plays the Doctor's ex-wife. You've got Mahershala Ali and also Ed Norton who's kind of in, in an uncredited role, I won't give much more away for that, um, as kind of the overarching villains. You've also got Ed Scrine in this, who plays a, a cyborg bounty hunter called Zapan. Um, obviously, Ed Scrine's the well-known douchebag who plays the villain in the first Deadpool film. Um, he has a great role. Michelle Rodriguez is in this film. I love Michelle um, Rodriguez. Oh, Such a badass bitch. Yeah, I she's love it. She's terrific. She's not in it enough. Um, but you'll probably see more of her in the sequel. Um, and it just, it does, <coughs> with, with two ac- with two directors that I was quite concerned about, with trailers I was apprehensive for it being overly CGI'd. Yes, make no mistake about it, this film is massively CGI heavy, but it's it's done because there are things this film does that could not be done with just props and actors mm. like these fight sequences alone they defy gravity and it is insane like there's this particular fight scene in an alleyway between Alita and three of these kind of hunter warrior characters which are essentially on the in the kind of the iron city there's no longer any police or any structure so people can sign up to be hunter warriors and to essentially collect bounties by going and killing people that have done wrong for kind of the sentinel and Ed Skrine is one of those hunter warriors, and uh, like eventually Alita kind of follows that path in the film. And there's a particular scene where she has no recollection of who she is, and obviously it's kind of unfolds through the film that she's kind of this very significant person um, with a very specific set of skills. To quote Liam Neeson in uh, Taken. Yep. Um, and there's this scene where she fights these three hunter warriors, and it is just insane. Like, this film's out in 3D as well, and I can't imagine what it would look like to go and watch kind of... There's this one character called Balish or something who he's got these kind of... these massive hands with each finger is a giant metal claw, and he can fire them all at one go, and they're like chains that come out of his fist. And so there'll be these scenes where, like, Alita is running towards Balish and he fires his kind of five chains out, and they're kind of swirling, and she's, like, jumping them and kind of just narrowly missing being sliced by them it's it's just like when you watch the film whether you hate cgi or not you will respect the fact that this stuff cannot be done in a convincing way without it being cgi Mm -hmm. and the whole steampunk vibe the fact that it's kind of a, a reinterpretation of a manga story you get sucked into it and you kind of or i realized at least that it is the right way to do it yeah and it is it is so impressive. Like whether you again, I've said this so many times, whether you like CGI or not, there are things I, I feel like there's been advancements in CGI in like the last five years that have kind of gone unnoticed because no one really wants to use it as much anymore. And it, like the Ed Scrine's character, for example, he walks around and other than his face, he is completely CGI. And he's got this ridiculous kind of metal body 
which is kind of on the back. It's all like embroidered kind of Chinese symbolism. And he has this incredible sword that sticks through his back. And um, he's got all these pieces kind of connecting up to his head that are kind of worked into his like fake sort of skin. Um, it's just, it, it is startling. Like mm. it, it is eerie how it looks and feels. Um, and it's all bolstered by, uh, by a pretty endearing story. Make no mistake, this is a young adult Hunger Games Maze Runner esque storyline. It's not going to win any awards for its emotional depth, but it but it it is good. It's it's characters that you really care about, and there are twists and turns throughout the film, and it leads to a quite surprising and enjoyable conclusion. Um, there's a there's a there's a brilliantly acted romance in the film. Um, there's a great kind of father-daughter kind of relationship between Dr. Daisanuko and Alita and there's kind of the mending of his relationship with his estranged wife and it is all just really lovely and it all melds. Thi this film could have run the risk of being very disjointed and very um, muddled and tonally confused and my interpretation when I sat there was it establishes great characters very quickly it doesn't waste much time. This film moves from set piece to set piece in quite a fast pace, but it leaves enough time to develop the characters and to provide that kind of dialogue that's needed in between mm. those major scenes. None of it feels like it's exposition. Everything that happens, for like every 10 or 15 minutes, I can think of a moment where something new is discovered or something changes that isn't just we have to go and do this and get this and get this. It's like, oh, like Alita's just found out this about herself or she's just seen this happen between these people. Like, it's all weaved. All the kind of plot points are weaved in a very engaging way. They're not kind of watered down and really like stare at the screen and explain the story kind of situations. It's very, it's very nuanced. Mm. Um and it does, you know, some people will inevitably criticise it for kind of leaving it very open-ended. It, 100%, like the main overarching villain is only really revealed right at the end. Oh, I see. Um, so that's what sets up sequels. It may, it, it's setting itself up for, a <coughs> yeah, multiple sequels. At least, it will at least be a trilogy if it does, if mm. it does commercially, if it does well. I mean, it, it only made 25 million on its opening weekend in America. Um, Lego Movie Two was also a flop. Flop. It only made thirty-four million. Oh, really? Which, which for the Lego Movie, which was a huge blockbuster hit, that's quite small. So both these films have not reached their potential. Well, yet. I mean, we've still. They, the they have both only just come out this weekend. Mm. Um, so time will tell. I. I mean, I was in the cinema in the afternoon, um, and it was it was pretty full. There were a lot of people there, and that was a good sign on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but I do, I do urge people if you haven't seen this yet, go and watch it. It's a great film. It will surprise you. It's got these just awesome action sequences. There's one. There's kind of a a, a, a feature of the film, if you will, is that there's this kind of game that street kids play called motorball. That is kind of actually an even bigger gladiatorial style TV event where these kind of cream of the crop cyborgs duke it out in the motorball and it's this big sporting very violent like um event where they all race each other for this ball to try and score points on what's kind of like a velodrome cycling style track 
and it is it's just it is so reminiscent of that Spy Kids 3D scene where they all race. Mm. Uh, it's I, it's unreal, and it's a brilliant scene, and and that's completely taken through, and and that is what Robert Rodriguez brings to this film. James Cameron does a good job of weaving together characters that are engaging and making sure that the story isn't overly long or overly saturated. Um, but Robert Rodriguez has clearly got quite a keen eye for bringing manga to the masses in an Americanized adaptation and has done it in a way that feels subtle while also really badass and not at the risk of any kind of sort of whitewashing criticism or any kind of like, you've really not done this original Japanese story justice with your inclusivity, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he's done, he's done a terrific job. I think he deserves a lot of credit. And I think they've got quite a good franchise on their hands. Mm. Um, I, think, I think the marketing of this film wasn't very good. I think it could have been a hell of a lot better. And I could have been convinced to go and see this much sooner. Mm. Um, and I think that's going to be its problem. But the good thing is that they, unlike other, other um, movies of its type, which are sort of young adult, um, it's it's not bound by these sort of book narratives that haven't be changed. It's an original thing which they can just spin off and off and off and off of. No, definitely. I mean, I mean, the the the, the Battle Angel Alita manga series itself. Um, this story that's been told here is kind of an adaptation of sort of two the stories of two or three of the books. But there are multiple stories and multiple ways yeah. in which the Alita character goes. So they have they have quite a f- uh, quite a fleshed out padded set of ideas for where they could take this yeah and i think the the crucial element that i haven't really discussed that will hopefully lead to a sequel and then a third film is this the world is is very realized now i think that the biggest problem with films like this is if they don't take the time to establish their world building in a clever and detailed way so I'm trying to think of examples. I, it just my, it all escapes me now. But it, essentially, they take the time in this film to make you really understand and feel the Iron City and this kind of upper city that's above them and the class problems and the, the struggles of the people and all of the interesting, like, specificities of life in this kind of area and kind of how everyone's kind of augmented in some way and for different reasons and the you've got this whole hunter warrior system that kind of acts as a police force and they they've got all these elements that are quite by the end of the film they're quite fleshed out so if you're a fan of this film you'll go into a sequel knowing like oh yeah the hunter warriors they're the the guys that do this and oh yeah that's the upper city that does this very similar to how when you went and watched catching fire after the first hunger games film you'd be like oh right yeah so district 11 is that dodgy one that they all want to break out of and there's only two people like you only have two people from each district that go into the hunger games and there's all these rules there's like a there's like a skeleton of a kind of um bubbling world that you will just kind of re-immerse yourself in when you watch the next one but you also feel like you haven't really scraped the surface so like there are bits in this film there's an example where they leave the city and it's a scene where Alita finds like this old spaceship and she's able to tap into it because of who she used to be kind of no spoilers um but when they drive out of the city it's kind of like into like fields and everything and she says to the other character that's with her like oh like what happens out here and he's like oh there aren't really any resources out here anymore so the only people that live out here are the such and such 
and that's not really developed. Mm. So there are kind of ways in which this world can go that we haven't nearly seen. And there are all these kind of outer city areas which could be turned into like bad lands or <coughs> swamp lands with their own weird mechanized creatures, etc., etc., mm. that just haven't been seen yet. And so I think the potential for this to grow as a series is huge. I just worry that the bedrock, this film is terrific when you go and watch it, but I think that a lot of people won't. And that at the end of the day, if it's not putting bums on seats, they're not going to make they're not going to make it into a series or, or if they do make it into a series they're not going to have James Cameron and Robert Rodriguez behind it or they might even though they are the creators of this like if it starts in sequels my worry with it is that you have said that it's a fantastic film because of specifically those two creators and if it becomes sequelized well, well I mean down the line it might not be it might become a very different true product. true I, th- I think I think that more than James Cameron, though, Robert Rodriguez's influence is seen in this film. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's the way it should be. Um, but I also think that e- this is such an ensemble job. And you can see, like, the amount of work the n- and different visions that went into this film somehow managed to not collide, but managed to all create a connected film. Mm. Um, I mean, there's so many examples of films where there are just too many cooks and no one n- no one could decide. I mean, <coughs> Suicide Squad. Suicide like, so many, so many examples of films in Hollywood where there were so many different people with different visions for how the film should be. And I 100% think this could have been a victim of one of those situations. Alita Battle Angel could have been one of those films where critics come out of it and went, I don't know if this is meant to be just balls-to-the-wall action. I don't know if this is meant to be a love story. I don't know if this is meant to be a societal comment piece. Do you know what I mean? Like 100%, it, yeah. And, and it, 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 it does know what it's doing. Yeah. And it doesn't take itself too seriously. And it is young adult. Like, I'm talking Hunger Games, Maze Runner. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. Uh, Twilight. Yeah, but not Twilight. Not, but not that is young. Yeah. yeah. But, but, like, yes, it is. And, like, there will be adults, especially adult men, that would watch this and think, oh, this is a bit naff. Mm. I'm, like, a bit of a sucker, so I lapped it all up. Yeah. Um, but I'm definite. we're definitely not the target market for it. No. Even though it is quite violent. Like, there are moments in this film, because it's a 12A, and it's, if I'm right, you can go to a 12A if you're under 12, but you're with an adult, right? Yes. Right? And so there were, like, seven, eight-year-olds in this film, and I was thinking there's a bit where Ed Scrines face gets sliced off and it like on the screen he's all like mechanized and broken and half his tongue's off and he's like literally right to the screen there's like this full face bit where he's like you broke my face and it's like even i was there like jesus christ that's pretty grotesque Mm. um i would have hated it if i was a kid and i went into the cinema and watched that i had a real thing for like googly eyes i remember i watched um this is going way off course but i remember i watched (laughs) I used to be terrified of the film Who Killed Roger Rabbit. Have Why? I ever talked about this on the no, podcast? I oh, mate. I was petrified of any film when I was younger that would do anything kind of fucked up with eyes or faces. I just couldn't do it. So, like, there's a scene in Who Killed Bo- Roger Rabbit, which is a dark kids' film anyway. It's about someone who goes around killing cartoon characters. But there's a scene where they find out who the villain is. It's this like guy, this bloke in a black hat. He's got a creepy face, and he gets he gets steamrolled by Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit, and basically it's revealed that he's a cartoon character in a, like a fake human's body, and he like the flat version of him walks over to some helium canisters and like blows a load of helium into his mouth, 
and he like puffs himself back out. But as he's puffing out, his fake human eyes fall out and his real cartoon red eyes pop through. Ooh. And it terrified me, man. I was so scared of it. Um, the same thing happened with Flash Gordon. There's a scene in Flash Gordon where they're fighting on this like revolving circular like space with like spikes on mm-hmm. it. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. And they're playing some sort of really camp game of American football at the same time. It's all rid- that film is ridiculous. That film is crazy. Um, but one of the villains falls on the spikes and it cuts to their face and it goes and like the eyes like push out of the head. And I hated it. I couldn't do it. I so I like, could you ever do itchy and scratchy? Oh, that didn't bother me. It was The Simpsons. Yeah. But these these were like kind of human, real people things. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but no, I, mate, I, if I'd seen Alita and I'd seen this bit where Ed Scrine's face gets shaved off, I would have hated it, man. I would have been so scared. Mm. See, the thing is, the only thing I was terrified of in terms of film and TV when I was younger was Dunge. And luckily, there's not a lot of movies that feature Dunge heavily. <laughs> Except the Goosebumps films. <laughs> oh, God, no. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so to go on to my Critic Quote Awards and then my rating of Alita Battle Angel. So my best description was from Michael Nordine of IndieWire. And he said that Alita Battle Angel is a sci-fi epic that does something rare in an age of endless adaptations and reboots. It lives up to its potential while leaving you wanting more. Okay. Um, I would say it lived up to more than its potential because I thought its potential was pretty fucking shit. (laughs) And we weren't that fussed about reviewing it. I mean, you definitely weren't. I, I have only been swayed in the last week into going to see this film. Um, in terms of most savage critic, uh, Roger Moore from Movie Nation. Roger Moore! Roger Moore from Movie Nation said, they may have a franchise on their hands, but one without heart or sex appeal. Roger and I so thought, mean. Roger, you've been a bit creepy, man, because Ro- like, th- there's meant to be a bit of romance, but they're still like 14 years old, these characters. So, like, you know, lay off a bit. Creep. Also, I think actually, what, from what you s- suggest, the ro- romance is very good. And compared to the in my opinion terrible sexual politics of Sin City and yeah, Robert yeah. Rodriguez's previous Eve like really good and really impressive that yeah, he's not definitely. like sexualizing his film yeah definitely in terms of best moment there's a scene where Alita goes in with her sort of boyfriend goes into this bounty hunt like notorious bounty hunter bar notorious big <laughs> to try and um, enlist the bounty hunters or the hunter warriors sorry to help her um, and obviously they all laugh at her because it's just this girl and she basically just turns around to them all and goes, right, okay, well, if I kick all of your asses, then you all have to come and help me. And it's this just wicked fight scene where she just like beats the shit out of everyone. Um, and then it then molds into this, e- like it goes from one fight scene immediately to the next where then like this big evil guy comes specifically to fight her and the bounty hunters sort of help her and they smash through the uh. ground and it's it, like it's a pretty high octane 10 minutes of cinema <laughs> no, but it was really good, it was might, really good. I, I would i would give it i'd give it a 7.5 out of 10 wow um it really is terrific it's not mind-blowingly good but it's it, it surpassed all of my expectations in every facet and i'm pretty keen to see a sequel like i think that this will really be won or lost on a sequel mm. if they definitely have the potential to make it even better than the first film especially with revealing the villain at the end and the villain is well, you know fine the only spoiler i'll give you the villain of the film 
is Ed Norton. Oh and, damn! And, and, and you don't you don't realize you see the character, but you see him like a bit disguised, and you only realize it's Ed Norton right at the end. And it does make you think, oh, like the sequel will be pretty cool with Alita kind of going up against him. So as be- as sequel baity as it was. I was suckered in by it. Um, Seven point five out of ten. I think you've you've won me over. I think what what won me over most about it is you said that this film didn't really take itself too seriously. I had a real worry about it. I was worried it was going to be super serious and yeah, super exactly. epic, and um, it was just going to have that James Cameron effect, which Avatar had. Avatar and completely. Had it that, doesn't exactly. have that. It, it is very dramatic. It is like there are moments where you'll you'll hear some of the dialogue and you'll think, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but like that that's just because I'm a I'm a You're not a young adult anymore. I'm a sarcastic adult. Yep. And it's jaded by the world. Yes. <laughs> um but yeah, no, that's that's a leaf the Battle Angel and the Lego movie too. Seven point yes. five and an eight. Seven point five and an eight. We both rated very, very highly. Mm. Can I have one last point about Go the on. movie to Go second on, part? Well. Say a say a final point. The final credit song, um, in the c- the fantastic credit mon- m- m- uh, montage is written by and performed by Super Organism. Oh, what? Really? Yep, yep. It's called All Together Now and it's um, a bit of a weird song. I'm not sure if I like it. But Super Organism... <laughs> That's, that, that sums up all of Super Organism's songs with me. It's a bit weird. I'm not sure if I like it. bit weird. Kind of like it. Pretty sure I don't. Yep. <laughs> um, Super Organism is a ba- band that me and Jake went to see and Olivia and there was a fourth person with us, wasn't there? Yeah, I can't remember who else. But no, we, it might have no, been it was you not. It was just yeah, we did some shots. Good night. Um, it and we met them night. afterwards. And yes, and the lead singer of the band was lovely and really, really cool. But she does have the unfortunate issue of just being quite small. And in the in she was we- and they were all wearing parka raincoats. And she does look about twelve. And so and it, but it was but that was the coolest thing about it is this whole amazing band that has had so many odd parts. But to did, it. I, did I tell you about? So we saw them in Birmingham and they were brilliant. We loved them. We met them. They were really nice. And then I saw them um, back in the summer at Pucklepock Festival in Belgium. Oh, yes, you told me that you saw them. And it was a weird experience, man. We went in to watch them for a few minutes, and the lead singer was kind of shouting at the crowd for them to, like, get involved and start dancing, but in, like, a really bolshy way, like, uh, come on, guys, we're doing this for you, dance. And it was, like, it was really uncomfortable. And so we left. We were like, oh, no, man, like, I don't want to get involved in this. This is tragic. Um, So, yeah, listen to Super Organism. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh dear oh, but anyway uh, tune so in next week and we will talk about another band and sort of kind of support them kind of slag them off yeah exactly that's <laughs> oh, how we Radiohead. do it <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway thank you very much for listening uh, make sure you tune in next week we are not sure what we'll be covering yet no we will definitely be talking about the Oscar nominations and what happened and the results and the craziness we might do it as a bonus episode we'll see how much time we've got uh, but we'll definitely be back next week. We do want to watch Boy Arrays, mm. but we have noticed that we're struggling to find it in cinemas near us, so we might have to be a little bit cheeky and find it online. Um, but if not, then we will find another impressive film to review, and we will see you all next week. Thank you very much, Will. Thank you very much, Jake. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>